Welcome, everybody. It's a pleasure to welcome my fathers here and everybody else. A special, a special happy birthday to our friend Shlomo, who's, start, uh, who's turning, what is it, 35 or 36? Mr. Shem. Maybe I should bench you with. Many, many years. With Nachas and Simchas only. Thank you, Ari, for taking care of the food, as you always do. We really appreciate it. I also want to wish a special Tzayshchem to our friend Shmuley Steiner, who's going to be going away to camp uh, next week, or the week after next. So Tzayshchem L'Shalom, and you should have a wonderful summer. A summer of Ali and Shtayin, of course, a summer of having a good time. And um, we'll see what the story is about next week's share. I'm not sure yet. And we'll, during the summer, we'll try to have this share whenever possible. And uh, everybody's always welcome. Also, want to dedicate this year, Nishmas, one of the uh, one of the Chazer Rabbanim here in the neighborhood who was Nifter yesterday, the Boston Rebbe, who's somebody who has Ashpa, was really the entire area around here, and certainly a big loss for the community and for his Kahila. So the year should be Lili Nishmas, Arav Pinchas Pinchas David, Ben Reb Ben Reb Moshe Alevi, as Nishma should have an Aliyah and Ganeiden and. Should be good to beta for all of Klal Yisrael. Days of Hashem of the Parsha Shlach. Rashi brings down first Rashi in the Parsha. The Parsha Miriam. At the end of last week's Parsha, we read about Miriam and Avia speaking Lashon Harim and having Tsaras. Why? And then we we start off with the Parsha of the Miraglim. Why are the two next to each other? Says Rashi. Levisha Loksa. Miriam was punished because of the Lashon that she spoke on Moshe. The Miraglim didn't learn Musar, that you have to be careful about speaking Lashon And obviously we have to understand, you know, how, how can we compare the two? Now you think about it. Moshe Rabbeinu is the greatest Navi and the greatest person to ever live, as we read about, Torah told us last week. He's like my uh, loyal household member. He has a nevuah and his galus like nobody else does. And speaking about Moshe Rabbeinu, we can understand, you know, what a terrible thing that is. But here, what did they do? They came, they spoke about the land of Eretz Yisrael. You know, you're comparing, speaking about the greatest man to ever live, comparing it to speaking about an inanimate, an inanimate object, which is the land. How could you compare the two that we have a Tvi on the Rishoyim? You should have, on the Miraglim, you should have learned. And you should have seen, and you should have been careful. What's the connection? And the answer is that, just as we said, what was the Indian, the mistake of Aaron and, and Miriam when they spoke about Moshe Rabbeinu? And it's hinted to in, the, in their words. Moshe Rabbeinu, we understand, you know, he's on a greater level than we are. But at the end of the day, he's a Navi, like any other Navi. We're also Naviim, and we didn't have this problem that we had to separate from our spouses 
So why should Meishir Rabbeinu, even though we understand that he's on a greater level than we are, he also shouldn't, you know, go to the extreme. But the mistake was, and also hinted to in these psukim that we just quoted, that Meishir Rabbeinu is not just a Navi on a higher level. Meishir Rabbeinu is a totally different league. He's on a different stratosphere than they are. They are great. Aaron and Miriam, of course. Meishir Rabbeinu is totally, totally exception, a totally different a totally different story. He is not your typical Navi that's on a high level. No, no. He is someone else. He is the greatest person, the greatest human being that ever lived. And that was the mistake of Aaron and, Meisha, Aaron and Miriam, that they didn't realize that. And they compared him to themselves. No, 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 no. says the Rebbeinu Shalaitim is on a totally different league. Eretz Yisrael, too, you know, you speak about a land, you know, you want to talk about a country, it's not safe, it's not, it doesn't have good weather, and the like, that's one thing. But Eretz Yisrael is on a totally different level than the rest of the world. It's a different entity. There's the world, and then there's Eretz Yisrael. And the Miraglin didn't realize that. And they thought, okay, this is just another land, just another piece of land that, you know, it's designated for us, Kalal Yisrael, to receive. And Mela, we can't critique it based on our uh, subjective analysis. But no, 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 no. That's not what this is. This is a totally different place on a totally different plane where nothing is as it seems. And the Rebbeinah Shalalom, from the time of creation, dedicated this land as the place where he's going to be Masha as Shechina and where his nation, Kalal Yisrael, is going to create a country which is going to be a light to the entire world. And that was their mistake, which they should have realized when Arya and Miriam made their own mistake. This is something that's true really till this very day. The famous letter, uh, Mark Twain, another well-known writer, author, who lived in the 1800s, he went on a trip in 1867 to uh, Europe and also to the Middle East. And I was, was on a ship with uh, a bunch of uh, Christians, and he wrote a book about his trip that became like a, a bestseller. In fact, that was what propelled him to becoming world famous. Still very famous till today. Uh, and he writes about his experiences in, in Eretz Yisrael. They went to visit Eretz Yisrael, which at the time was called Palestine. So he says like this, they traveled to the Jizrael Valley, which is known in Hebrew as Emek Yisrael, which in, today it's in uh, the northern part of Israel. He says there's not a village for 30 miles. One may ride 10 miles and not see 10 human beings. And of all the lands of dismal scenery, Palestine must be prince. It sits in sackcloths and ashes as it brews the spell of a curse. So he's speaking like from the based on the, I guess, the Nevi'im, you know, they described that Eretz Yisrael is going to be desolate when Klal Yisrael isn't there, and he, he saw it with his own eyes. There was nothing there, there was nothing there. This was several decades before the, you know, the, the, uh, the great Aliyot, the uh, immigration from Europe started. So really it was a very, very tiny community, and most of the land was totally desolate. Interestingly enough, the Ramban, 
who lived 600 years earlier, in the 1200s, so he made his way from Spain to Eretz Yisrael. And he writes in a letter to his son the same exact thing. Famous letter in which he writes, you know what I see here in Eretz Yisrael? Call it Makudash Mechaveiroi, Charev Mechaveiroi. You know, that the, it's, it's terrible, the desolation is terrible. He came to Yerushalayim eventually, he couldn't find a minion. That's how bad it was. Yerushalayim Erech He was able to, after a lot of work, to establish a minion there in a shul. There is a shul called the Ramban Shul in the old city. It's not, not the same building, but it's based on that idea that he was the, he was uh, the first one to establish a shul after... You know, there was, there was nothing there in Yerushalayim after, you know, so many, so many gezeris over the years, even after the Khurban. But he writes like this. He says, actually, this fills me with hope when I see this. When I see this, why? Because the Pasuk says, V'shamu This is in Toichacha and Parshas Kisavai. The Rebbe Shalom says, you know, after you're going to go into Gullus, your enemies are going to try to settle in the land. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. So says the Ramban, this is what we're seeing here. You know, Kali Yisrael went into Golis, which is of course very tragic, but nobody else is going to be able to, to inhabit this land. It's not going to work for them. And Baruch Hashem, today, we're finally seeing that this Kali is finally, finally uh, being lifted, and you know, my father was just in Eretz Yisrael. He, you, you see Bechush, how the country is being built up in really astonishing, astonishing pace. And uh, more and more people are making Aliyah. It's, it's quite amazing, Baruch Hashem, you know, and hopefully we're all hoping that this is certainly a simon of the upcoming Gula, which will be very soon, and we'll all go there, Mitzvah Hashem. But we see this concept that Eretz Yisrael is a different plane. It's, it's not the same as any other country. And that was the mistake of the Miraglim. That's why they were punished so severely. But, you know, speaking of this Indian, you know, we see sometimes that there are relationships like we see, you know, the relationship between Kal Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael, the relationship between the Rabbeinu Shalom and the Nevi'im. Some relationships are different than others. And as a result, you cannot compare one relationship to another. And one such relationship which I want to talk about tonight is the relationship of a husband to a wife. You know, Baruch Hashem, you know, we all have friends, we have neighbors, we have people that we know from shul, Chaim was just telling me that he was by Avart, and Chaim, I know for a fact, he never ever misses a simcha. If he's physically able to go, if it's on the block or in the shul, he never ever misses, just like he never misses the shear here. And we appreciate that very much. We need friends, you know, and we need to have people that we're on good terms with, and it's very, very big, it's a big part of life, of course. But, the relationship between a husband and a wife is something totally different. When a couple gets married, so there's a mutual decision that's being made that we're joining together to create a new shared life. And in that life, everybody brings their unique role to the table, and hopefully we're going to create a shared life together. <coughs> but in order for this partnership to work, everybody has to know what their role is. And they have to do their role. Chavetz Chaim, we told the story over once. Came to shul once early in the morning, and you had the uh, you know the older people. They were sitting and saying tilim. They were tilim. The chevras tilim. They would get up early, and they they would come. They would say whatever about kapitlach tilim every single day. And he sees sitting there. There's a wealthy fellow businessman, 
He says to him, well, what's going on here? He says, you know, Rebbe, you know, I decided, you know, Baruch Hashem, you know, I, I made a lot of money, you know. And, you know, it's, it's time for me to, uh, to spend more time in the Bismedrish. So I'm starting with the Chavaz Tehillim. So says the Chavaz Chaim, if you have a soldier and there's a war, the guy that's supposed to be out there in the trenches, if he decides, you know what, I don't want to be here, I want to be, you know, on the back of the line helping out with the supplies, or I want to be in the kitchen, he's going to be tried for treason. He's going to be tied for... for uh, for um, what's that? Abandon. Yeah, abandoning your role. Everybody has their role, and during a melchama, everybody has to be at their assigned role. So he says, your assigned role is not to be from the chevers to hillim. Your assigned role is to be from these vulans who are making sure that the yeshivas and the bochem have food to eat. So you have to be there out in the marketplace, uh, making money so that you'll be able to support Tyra. Don't be a tzaddik and come here and you know, wake up early in the morning on the cheshman of going out into the business world. The <laughs> well, the Chavetz Chaim felt that you can't. In other words, if you're getting up at 5 in the morning to say to Hillem, by the time you get to the office, 9 o'clock, you're probably going to be very tired. So the point is, you, know, you have to know your role and you have to fulfill that role. And that is true for marriage as well. We each have our own role, the husband and the wife, and it's not the same. The Pesach tells us, Chachma Yisnashim Ban the woman's job is to build the home, and that means it's dealing with the kids, it's ma- making sure that the house is running smoothly, that there's meals, that everything stays clean, and making sure that everything goes as it's supposed to go. And that's why the woman is called the Akera Sabai. She's the mainstay of the home, because that's her natural place. And the woman, in her role as a woman, a feminine person, that's what she's supposed to do. The husband's role is different. You know, and even though today many women go out to work, and today you have many men who spend time at home, you know, cooking and cleaning and the like, which is a fine, there's nothing wrong with it, but that's only when it's done to help out the wife. So, you know, if your wife asks you, can you go shopping for Shabbos? You know, like we have Ari, he goes every Thursday night to bingo, he fills up the shopping cart, and that's a wonderful thing. But the point is, you're doing it only to support the person who's the wife, who her, 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 her job is to make sure that the home runs smoothly. Now what then is the job of the husband? It's to be mashpia. It's to be a mashpia. Give her what she needs. And in Mela, the a relationship of a husband and a wife is supposed to be one of a mashpia and a makabel. What does it mean to be a mashpia? That means... That you're their authority in the house. That means that, you know, whatever ruchni is the level you want the house to run on, you're the one who makes sure that this is what the house is like, going to look like. So, in other words, if in your standards certain things don't come into the house, you're the one who should enforce it. Uh, if it's your standards that the kids should be going to certain schools, so you have to make sure that that's what happens. And you have to make sure that your kids follow the rules and you discipline them. And of course, setting the example of what it means to be an Eil Chayid, so that your kids will have who to look up to, and in Hashem, as they grow up, they're going to follow it. It means also taking care of the finances in the house. Because the husband is bringing to the table, when he makes the relationship with his wife, when they get married, the masculine aspect of the relationship. The man part. So that's our role. And the woman, as we said, she has her role. 
And when it goes hand in hand, then you have a, host, a house that's running as it's meant to be. That's as far as the relationship as it relates to the household. And then you have the personal relationship between a husband and a wife. And there too, it's meant to be done in this unique way of a mashpia and a makabal. The Sfarim tell us that when a husband and a wife get married, it's really one neshama that's coming together. And in order for that merger to happen, every person has to do their part. And the husband has to bring the masculine role into this relationship. And when he does that, the wife can bring her feminine role into that relationship as well. There's two stories that I read in you know, one of these magazines, one of these weekday, weekend magazines that come out. Both, you know, very unfortunate. It's the lady writing this story. One, one, one lady writes, she says, you know, it seems like they're, they're a chassidish couple. They get married, you know, and he's a regular chassidish younger man. And one day he gets this bug in his head, I don't know exactly how it happened, that, you know, I grew up my entire life in a very sheltered environment. I never had the opportunity to be myself. I was always doing what I was told to do. I was told to go to the mikveh. I was told to go to yeshiva. I was told to go to shul. And that's all I did. And now, I'm assuming, I'm guessing, maybe he had gone out to work, so he saw, you know, there's a broader world out there. So he says, you know, I never had that chance to experiment with anything. I never had the chance to decide for myself which path I want to be. So now I want to do it. Now this woman, obviously a very strong woman, she didn't say, uh, I'm out of here. She said, okay, you know what, I'm going to give you the permission to do it, as long as you keep a few conditions. And she writes, you know, you have to keep kosher, you have to keep Shabbos. And now this fellow, he started wearing jeans, he started going to movies, of course on his own, not with his wife. Because he has to find his path, so to speak. Okay, and listen, I give her credit for having that strength. But, excuse me, if you got married, and you were a certain way when you got married, you can't come home one day and say, you know, this is not my life anymore, this is not what I want to be, or I want to find myself. That time is over. You have to be the leader in the house. That's your role as a man. You can't start playing games. The time for games is over. Once you sit up, stand under the chuppah and you give your wife the ring, that's it. Game over. Now be a man. Another letter. A lady writes, and her husband goes to a therapist. Well, he started going to a therapist. And this therapist, he has this mahalach that in order for somebody to overcome his trauma, whatever it was, you know, the, uh, the problems that he had growing up, so what does he do? First he breaks the person, and then he recreates the person. Now how do you break a person? So she describes. He says to her husband, uh, the therapist, he says, you know, you had trauma when you were a teenager, and you never dealt with it. Now go back to being a teenager... And together, we're going to overcome all those traumas. Now, I don't know exactly what trauma he went through. Maybe he was bullied in yeshiva, or whatever it is. And I'm not minimizing anything, you know. And people go through difficulties. And all of this is something that, you know, is worthy of treatment. But she says, excuse me, this man has a wife. This man has kids. This man has a job. This man has a chavrusa. What are you telling him, to become a teenager again? A whining teenager who can't get up for shachris? 
who's not going to go to Shul Shabbos morning because he's not in the mood anymore, or if he decides he doesn't want to go to work because, you know, listen, a kid, a 16-year-old kid who's sent out to work, he's not going to be reliable. So my husband should do the same thing? Excuse me, this man has responsibilities. You can't do this to me. This lady's writing it. It's very painful. It's very painful. Who's doing these kind of things? What kind of a thing is that? So, again, we have to realize that in our role as men, and especially married men, we have to be a man. And as hard as it is, and as difficult as it is, that's our job. Be a man. Be a man. You're smart. You're old enough to get married. You're old enough to be a man. And stop whining. Of course, I'm speaking to myself as well. That's what the woman needs. She needs a masculine figure in the house to support her and not the other way around. Now, practically speaking, if a person has a bad day, let's say, at work, you know, or, you know, let's say one of these cases where, you know, he has underlying trauma, your wife is not the person that you should go to. With all due respect, you don't want your wife to become your therapist or the person that you cry to at night. Why? Because that's, again, that's taking away from the nature of this relationship, which is meant to be and when the wife turns into a mommy to her husband, she's no longer the makabel. She becomes the mashpia. And what happens is, when people aren't doing their roles, they're not going to be satisfied. The husband's not going to feel happy, he's not going to feel good about himself. You know, like, uh, you know, because I feel like a baby. And the wife's not going to be happy because she's not able to do her role of being the makabel and through that, to build the house. So, it's something that everybody has to remind themselves from time to time. That we have to bring our masculinity into our marriage and let the woman take her femininity through our building her up. As we said, not babying ourselves with Adra, but being the authority in the house, being the father figure, being the husband figure, and now she's going to take her Bina Yaseira, and she's going to make this marriage develop and the house develop, everything's going to run smoothly. But the only way that's going to happen is if we give her the koiches that she needs. Now, I'm not saying that nobody should have a shoulder to cry on. You should. So for that, everybody has to find someone outside the house that you cry to. If you want to go to a therapist, that's fine. If you could afford it, it's not such a cheap thing. But, you know, if you have a rough that you're close to, or a mentor, or friends, like we said before, you know, uh, here in the shul, it's such a wonderful chevra, you know, where everybody's like brothers here. Yeah, it's a great place. You come here to shul, on Shabbos and after davening, not during davening, but after davening, you know, you sit down by the kiddush air, and you know, you talk about your week and you know all the harassments that you went through and all the difficulties that you went through and you know your insecurities. Talk about it with your friends and man to man. You know, we're going to give each other kayaf, we're going to give each other strength, and that's the way to do it. And then you come home and you put on that man figure again, that man persona. Your wife is going to look up to you. Your kids are going to look up to you, and that's the way that you're going to talk and build a strong relationship, the way the Rebbeinu Shalom wants it to be. Now, Hirsch writes very beautifully, The main purpose of the man in the relationship of marriage, when he's suing, You have to bring happiness to the wife, to the woman that you married. And that's your job. It's not the other way around. And we have to remind ourselves of this all the time. It's not her job to make us happy. It's our job to make her happy. What's going to happen, though, as a result of us doing our role is that she's going to do her role as well. And in the relationship is going to become one that's vibrant, and of course she's going to make us happy in return. But we have to have the right approach to it.
Each person should follow his role. And, you know, we see this in the Parsha. By the Moraglan, they go to Eretz Yisrael. And they come back, they give the report. Very famous Pesach. Very famous. The Shamarinus on the Philim, but not when on the Philim. You know, we saw these giants over there, the descendants of giants. We saw them, we looked at ourselves, we felt like little grasshoppers. And that's how they related to us. And the Sifri Musa and others, they all point out. How in the world do you know what they were thinking about you? They didn't. But they felt so little in their own eyes that they automatically assumed that the Knanim felt the same way about them. Stop being a baby. Grow up. What do you mean the Chena Yunubeinam? Man up. Be a man and stop being a, a scaredy cat. That's not the role of a person. And we see their British Shalalim had to be on them. That's why they were punished. Stop thinking so small about yourself. Know who you are. Know what your relationship is. Know what your strengths are. And then everything's going to work out just fine. And that's something that we have to remind ourselves. And I'm mentioning this now because, you know, we're about to start the summer, as we said. And it's during this time that we know that there are more Nisyanus in Inyanim Kedusha that, than throughout the whole year. And, you know, there's many reasons for it. If you go to the bungalow colony, so, you know, people let their guard down. You know, they, they act in ways that maybe during the year they wouldn't. You know, there's more mingling. And, of course, who's talking about going into the streets and if you have to go into the city? Islam, what you're exposed to over there. But the bottom line is, this is the Matthias. This is the Matthias that we live in. Even if you're living here in Flatbush, you know, you're exposed. And that's how things are in the summer. There's a tremendous amount of preachers. But if we remind ourselves of our role, that, you know, we're meant to be the mashpia, We're meant to be the giver. As far as it pertains to our marriage, then it's much easier to stay away, you know, from all these nisyanists that we're faced with during this period. Because at the end of the day, if a person spends his day getting pleasure from all kinds of views and things that he shouldn't be doing. So you're not, you're not a giver, you're a taker. You're taking, ah, oh, more, more sights to see and more engaging in things that I shouldn't be doing. Taking, 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 taking. And if a man is a taker, he's not going to be happy because that's not his role. His role is to be a giver. So if we can't remind ourselves that we're supposed to be givers, then it becomes much easier to do, behave in the proper way. You know, I'm not going to look over there because I don't want to take away from my role as being someone who's giving. And if Khalila, I get distracted and I go off track, then I'm not going to be who I'm supposed to be. And then I'm not going to be happy. They said, and I'm going to Gershon's itself, it was just Nifter, that he was able to control the hardest thing to control. You know what that was? Himself. Himself. And that's what we have to remind ourselves, especially during this time, you know. We have to control ourselves. And of course, you know, he was a giant who spent his 100 years learning Musa and Taira. But each in their own little way, you know, also, you know, the Ebishtar gives us, that never puts us in Nisayim that we cannot withstand. And he gives us the Kaychas to control ourselves and, you know, all the difficulties that the summer comes with. We have the abilities, of course, with, with the Siyat Dishmaya to overcome, as long as we remember what the Rebbeinah Shalom wants from us. They also said, and I mentioned this here, uh, we spoke about Reb Gershon two weeks ago. He used to tell Rashi Yeshivas, when you walk into the Beis Medrash, you should think about, what can I do to make good for some people here in the crowd? You know, who can I find for my Bachrim that needs chizuk today? And that's my job, to give them the chizuk that they need. Now this is something that we can all think about when we come home.
What can I do to make my wife happy? What can I do that'll put a smile on her face? And we all know, we all know what we can do. We all know what our roles are. And it takes sacrifice, it takes work. But ultimately, it's doable. And ultimately, that is the way to make a marriage work as it's meant to be by the Rebbeinah Shalalem. So, talk as we enter this uh, season. They wish to give all of us the Koyach to go through the summer a healthy way, in a successful way, in Ruchnias and in Gashmias. And I just want to conclude with a beautiful story. You know, we're speaking about giving over for others. There was a tzaddik in Yerushalayim, the Gedalia Moshe's Zviller. This Zviller Rebbe, the son of Epshlinka's Zviller. And he was imprisoned in Siberia by the Russians for seven years for spreading Torah. He's called on a Shabbos morning to the office of the commandant. And he says, and the commandant says to him, okay, Goldman, that was his last name, you're a free man. And together with him, he called another fellow, another prisoner who was an elderly fellow, also a Fremiyid. You're both free to go. Only thing is, you have to sign. You have to sign that you, uh, you know, you agreed to abide, whatever it is, and to leave the camp. Says Rabbi Goldman, I can't sign. It's Shabbos. The commandant, who obviously did not, was not a big fan of the Yidden, he says, okay, you don't want to sign. I have no problem if you stay here. But now is the opportunity to sign. And then he says an amazing thing. For myself, I can't sign, but I'm going to sign for this other fellow. Right, I forgot to say. The other fellow said, once he heard the Rebbe say he's not signing, he said, I'm also not signing. <coughs> so he says, I'm going to sign for him, not for myself. So the man says, what's this all about? If, if you can't sign for yourself, why can't you sign for him? He says, yeah, for me, if I stay here in prison... Okay, I know I'm going to survive somehow. But he is an elderly fellow. So for him, it's pikuach nefesh. So I have to sign for him. And the man heard this. He was so spell. He says, okay, you know what? You're both free. Just get out of here. And that's talk of the, uh, the way we should look at life. You know, what can I do for, for, for others? And talking when we do that, the Eberstein return is going to give us everything that we need. Brachas, Yeshua's, Parnosso, and Atzlocha, and everything that we do. Amen.